Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. The message, the series. We have been in a series. You guys have been following along for I don't even know how many weeks or how many months right now, but we have been in the book of Thessalonians, mainly first Thessalonians. But for the last three weeks, we've been talking about Jesus's return. It is interesting that Paul who is the author of the book of Thessalonians. And if you remember, uh, if you read in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 17, Paul planted this church there. When Paul was on his missionary journey, he came to the people, and he was only there three weeks. And this is Paul writing letters back to the church to address some concerns, address some of their different uh, fears and anxieties that they had. And here, for the last few weeks, we have been looking at the return of Christ. This church had a lot of questions about Jesus's return. And what you see within Thessalonians is that Paul is answering some questions. Uh, scholars kind of debate on like how Paul's letters kind of happened here. You, you know, did Paul first get a letter and they had some questions, they had some, some thoughts here, but we know within Thessalonians, Paul had sent Timothy and Timothy was bringing back information and Paul was addressing it. So we've been looking at Christ's coming. Now last week, um, I said that, that last week's message was going to be a fire and brimstone message. I hope that you guys all enjoy that message. We were looking at Christ's coming and what is going to happen, and it's going to be a very scary time, but we have some encouragement in that as well, is that God does not forget about his people and about his church. Well, this week, we are continuing on in Jesus's return, and this week, Paul is going to be addressing some lies some uh, false teaching that had kind of slipped into the church, and Paul is writing to them, once again talking about Jesus's return, but also correcting some of their thinking. They had uh, heard some misinformation, and Paul is Paul. Paul. Paul knew that this information was starting to cause anxiety and some doubts and maybe some fear within their life. And Paul says, listen, I want to address some things that you guys have been hearing here. So we're going to be in 2 Thessalonians this week. We're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And if you guys will turn with me there, but also I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's word this morning. And we are going to read through 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. This is what the Word of God says this morning. It says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered, gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Verse 3, Let no one deceive you in any way. For the day of the Lord will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? In verse 6, and you know 
what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, for he who knows restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure and unrighteousness. Let us pray. Father, we come to you this morning. We are seeking you, Lord Jesus. Father, I ask that as we, as we dive into your word, that, that you will come, that you will challenge us, that you will encourage us. And I pray, Lord, that we, as followers of you, will follow you even more closely today. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated here. Now, before we dive in, I must warn you, there is so much happening in these verses that we're not going to be able to get to everything that is taking place. And, you know, when you look at these verses, Paul has given us so much information, and there's so many rabbit trails we could be going down, because as you read these verses, you might have more questions. And even me, in my study of these verses, the more I read, the more I studied, the more questions I had. So I'm just warning you guys this morning, if I do not hit on every topic you think we should hit on within these verses, uh, I would love for us to maybe have a conversation after. We could have a cup of coffee together. We could talk for about six to seven hours on these verses because, like what I said, there's so much happening here, and there's so many questions that, that we, the reader, 2,000 years later, are wondering, what exactly is he saying here? But we do know this. Paul starts off by letting them know, and the reason why he is addressing this, if you look in verse 1, Paul says this, he says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, verse 2, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter coming or seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. The church here was believing, and they had some thoughts, and they had some concerns that the, that the day of the Lord had already come. Now, we don't know who was saying these words, but it, but it is clear that, that the church there, people were talking about this, and they were saying, and some of them were saying, and some of them were believing that the day of the Lord had already come. And that brought them to be alarmed. Like, did we miss it? You know, like, what happened here? And Paul is, is reminding them in this section, you guys don't need to be alarmed. You don't need to be concerned. We have talked about this already. And Paul's going to remind them of a couple of things that have to take place before the day of the Lord arrives. And he's doing this to the church because they were shaken, they were alarmed. They had a lot of fear. They had a lot of anxiety that certain things 
dealing with the end times and Jesus' return and Jesus' coming, that it already happened. Now, it's, it's just, I don't know how they went down that road, but Paul is addressing it here. So he is re- reminding them, hey, a couple of things have to be taking place. And I don't want you guys to be worrying here. In verse 3, at the very beginning of it here, he says, let no one deceive you in any way. He's saying, listen, I know you guys have been believing this, some of these lies, but I'm telling you, it hasn't happened yet. And the reason why it hasn't happened yet, because a couple of things have to take place first. So as we look at Jesus's return, let's look at the couple of things that have to take place first. In in verse 3, he says, for the day of the Lord will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So we see here, and you guys might be wondering, like what I have as well, because I think it's natural curiosity for believers in Christ to wonder, what, when does Jesus come? What has to happen first? And like what I said, we could talk about these verses for a very long time, and we could be getting into, into different charts. And guys, today, I'm not going to be jumping a whole lot to other scripture verses. I'm just going to do one other jump there. But there is so much mystery here, and there's so much thought that people have, like, okay, what is the rebellion? Paul says two things have to happen. The rebellion has to happen first. And then there's going to be this man of lawlessness that has to happen. Well, I want to talk quickly about this idea of the rebellion happening first. And I know I just said I don't want to jump to too many other verses, but I feel like for this one, we got to jump to Matthew chapter 24. And uh, Matthew 24, verses 9 through 13, or 9 through 14. And many of the scholars I was reading and a lot of my study kept pointing me to Matthew this week. And this is specifically talking about the rebellion that has to take place first. So now, if you look there, he says, this is Jesus' words talking about uh, end times events. He says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesakes. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. There's going to be this, this, this time period of tribulation. There will be this time period when the world turns on the Lord and on his people. There will be this rebellion against God and against his people. And Jesus warns us here that there will be tribulation. They will want to put you to death. You will be hated by all nations. And I want to just kind of stop right there because, you know, especially in the last 18 months. I realize COVID has totally changed just our entire world, our entire thinking, and a lot of people have been asking these types of just questions here. But here, I think that we have some encouragement and we have a little bit of comfort here that there will be a rebellion that has to take place. And some argue maybe this rebellion's happening right now. But Jesus says all nations, all nations, not just our nation. And I think this is something that we really have to be thinking about here. God's word was not written to Americans. 
Okay, like, so like we live in America, and it's so easy for us to kind of take our cultural world and take things that are happening within our country and, and just like apply them to God's word, okay? Well, we know that there's going to be tribulation and there's going to be mass persecution worldwide. Jesus says the nations are going to come after us. So I, I find a little bit of comfort in that because I don't know if we're into the rebellion period, but as I look around and as I look at our nation and as I, and as I look at other nations, I, start, I just kind of think like, okay, I can see the, the rebellion coming, but I don't know if we're there yet. So once again, I, I don't want to be making predictions here, okay? But I'm just, I'm just trying to make some encouragement here because as I read it and, and, and as I was looking at Jesus' words, he says, listen, Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Verse 11. And many false prophets will rise and lead many astray because lawlessness will be increased. The love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures till the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. So, the rebellion that many have linked to 2 Thessalonians is that there is going to be this massive rebellion against God and his people. I can't tell you what every single detail looks like. I don't know when exactly that is going to happen. But remember, Paul's writing to this church that had believed, some of them, that Jesus already came, that the end has already taken place. And he's saying, no, no, no. When I was with you guys, I talked to you about this. A couple of things have to be taking place. First, the rebellion. So I'm kind of sharing this today, guys, not to say, hey, we know exactly everything that's going to be taking place, but this is just some encouragement to them, and I think it should be for us as well. The second thing that has to be taking place, and this is where, this is where you guys might pull out pitchforks on me here because we, could, we should really spend a lot of time on this one. The man of lawlessness has to be revealed. Now, I will say this. Biblically, this is what they believe. Uh, this is what I believe as well, because as you look at the Greek here, uh, it's singular. There will be a man. I'm sorry, ladies. It won't be a woman. Scripture uses masculine, and he uses singular here. There will be a man of lawlessness. And what do we know about this man? Well, Scripture here gives us a little bit of insight. If you turn uh, back to verses uh, on, on, verse, on verse 4, it says, uh, first the day of the Lord will come, this is verse 3, the rebellion comes first, then the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or, or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God. And then in verse 5, he says, Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? So, who is this man of lawlessness? And I realize I'm sounding like I'm giving a lecture today. That's how I'm feeling right now, church. I feel like we're just going through, through facts here. But we're gonna, this is all going to come to a point here. So please just like hang with me. I don't want too many of you falling asleep on me here. So, he is telling him the rebellion and then this man of lawlessness, 
has to be coming. And like what I said, it's singular. It's a man. It's, they believe it will be a person, an actual person. And we also see a descriptive word here, the son of destruction. Now, some might read, or read that and think, this man is going to bring destruction. But actually, as you read further down, this man is destined for destruction himself. But, but what do we know about this man? Scripture here teaches he will oppose any and every other deity on this earth. So he doesn't just hate the Christian God. He hates all forms of worship of any deity. So anybody out there that holds to a deity, now we here as believers, we hold to the lordship of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He is sent by God. He is God in the flesh. But here, when this man rises to power, he's going to oppose all deities, all forms of worship. He's going to want to get rid of religion itself. And he's going to place himself in a position that is above all others. He himself will want to be worshipped. He will want to be at the pinnacle, at the top. He will want everyone else to deny their gods and deny their worship to turn their worship to him. I kind of view this as, you know, I, uh, when I was in college, I studied cults. I don't know why. I really don't know why I studied cults. It was, uh, honestly, I didn't take a class on it. I just started researching cults. Uh, I don't know. Anyways, but when you look at cults, it is very interesting because within every cult, they have many things in common. But a cult, in order for it to kind of happen here, you have to have a figurehead. You have to have, and it's usually an earthly figurehead. If you've read... Uh, any of the cults that have, that, that have taken place. Uh, the, the last, or there was a big one out in California in the early 90s by uh, Applewhite. Uh, Twenty-some people died. They thought there was a comet. There was a comet coming. He told them all, we got to die tonight so we can ride the comet out. But, but I do kind of think of cult leaders as I was reading this here, that there will be this man he will be the man of deception. He will deceive the world, and the world will follow him. The world will look to him for answers, for, for just fill it in. This man will be deceiving the world, and he will have authority, and people will worship him. And, and it's just, he says all this, and then look at verse 5. He slips this in. He says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? This one verse, I really wish Paul never wrote this verse, and I really wish this verse was not within God's word. Because we are reading back on this 2,000 years later, and we have questions. But Paul says this, saying, Listen, I've already talked to you guys about this. And he probably talked to him about this in great detail. And as Paul's writing this letter, he's doing this just to jog their memory. Don't you guys remember? I told you about this rebellion. I told you about this man of lawlessness. And he says, when I was with you, don't you guys re remember this conversation that we had? 
And I say I don't like it because it leaves us in mystery. Well, what else did you say, Paul? Like, what else, what other information did you give them that now we, the reader, 2,000 years later, that we don't have? And we see mystery after mystery unfold. Look at verse 6. He says, and you know, you know what is restraining him now so that he may not be, so he, so that he may be revealed in his time. Verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. I say there's mystery here because scholars and theologians have been debating. What is holding back the man of lawlessness? Because Paul here says, you guys know that when I was with you, I told you about these things. But now we here are like, well, well what's actually happening here, Paul? Like, so like I, I need more information on what is about to be taking place. And, and I don't want to be going down too many rabbit trails. Like what I said, we could be going down so many rabbit trails today. But we see that there's something restraining this man. Some have argued the church. Some have argued a political power. Some people have been arguing about what is restraining this man of lawlessness from coming. We don't know, but we do know this. Verse 8. This is where I think it starts to get really exciting. And then the lawless one will be revealed. Whom the Lord Jesus, look at these words, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth, and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. When Jesus comes, there's all these things that are going to be taking place. Tribulation, rebellion, a man rising to power that will expect to be worshipped. All these things are going to be taking place. And I think for some Christians, when they think about end times, they get a little bit nervous. They, they get a little bit like, well, what if we have to go through tribulation? What if we have to be facing difficult times? Well, I'm just going to just simply tell you this, church. I, I, I say this basically weekly now. As a believer in Jesus, you will face difficult times. The world around you doesn't like you. I don't know how to like get that into like our heads for us to really understand. This world is hostile to the things of God. They don't enjoy the things of God. They don't want to hear about the things of God. They don't want to be called to repentance. They don't want to be called to faith in Jesus. They have rejected Christ. This has happened throughout all of human history. And when the gospel and when God's word confronts culture, culture pushes back. They don't like it. God's word warns us here. Like, listen, they're not going to like you. They're probably going to beat you. They're probably going to imprison you. And there's these warnings all throughout Scripture. Like, listen, this is what you will face as a believer. However, it's worth it. However, this world, they will come after you. They will not like you. You will have pushback maybe within your own workplaces. But when you bring up God's word, and not just God, but, but specifically Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the one who died for their sins and our sins and everyone's sins, there will be pushback. 
And Paul is writing to them, to a church that's facing harsh persecutions. These people were not living their best life now on this side of heaven. They were living in very difficult circumstances. And Paul's writing here to bring them encouragement. And here, verse 8, I feel like verse 8 is so encouraging because he says, listen, then the lawless one will be revealed. And this man is going to have power. He's going to have authority. He is going to be the most powerful man on this side of heaven. But look how little power this guy has. Jesus speaks, and he's gone. The appearance of Jesus, the very appearance of who Jesus is when he comes in his glory, will bring this man to nothing. And I, I just think there's, there's like encouragement there because we can get, become fearful of what's, a, what's about to happen this year. What's going to happen in the next two years? What's going to happen when like tribulation comes? What's going to happen? And for believers, we can get so discouraged by what could happen and what is about to happen because we know what, 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 what Scripture says here. There's encouragement here because the one whom, whom we love and the one whom loves, who loves us when he appears, when he comes, he's going to speak in the highest figure of this world at the time who wanted all this authority and believes that he has all this power will be killed in an instant. Because that's how amazing and how great our God is. You know, a lot of people think there's like Satan and then there's God and they're on like equal playing fields. You know, and it's just good versus evil. And it's like, this can't even be further from the truth. The, the activity of Satan, when Christ comes, becomes nothing. Literally gets just, just eradicated. And, and that's hope for us, church, is that as we follow Christ, as we face difficult situations, as we get pushback from this world around us because of the gospel we want to proclaim to them and share with them because we love them and Christ loves them and he died for the world and the world sins. But when he comes, he's going to bring this evil one. The man who, in verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, in verse 10, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth, this man will be brought to nothing. And this is encouragement to the church because they were wondering, and we have seen this throughout all of Thessalonians, they are wondering, well, what's going to happen? What about us? Is God hearing our prayers? Does God see what I'm facing? And Paul is saying, yes, in the end, trust me, when Christ comes, there's going to be this rebellion in this man. But listen, at his very appearance, he's going to bring them to nothing. And this man, he was actually there working through the powers of Satan. But Jesus has all authority. Jesus will bring this man to absolute nothing. But we see this here as well as a warning. This man, by the activity of Satan, he's going to bring about false signs. In verse 9, he's going to bring about wonders. He's going to be doing stuff that the world is going to be saying, that's not natural. Right? Like, say, like, like, say he's going to be like performing signs, and it doesn't give us exact details. 
but this man will be performing things that the world will be looking at and saying, man, this guy's got all the answers. This guy's got everything figured out here. We need to be given allegiance to this man. And, and there is this warning that, that, in verse 10, with all wickedness for those who are perishing, meaning those who, who, who are not following Christ will look to this man as their savior. He's got all the answers. He's got everything figured out. Look what he's doing. And they're going to turn to him. And they're going to worship him. And they're going to love him. But look how verse 10 ends. Do you know why they love him? Why they're deceived? It says, because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. There is a serious heart issue, church, that we are going after in this world. And I think it's really easy for us right now to be wanting to battle in this world in the physical realm. And what I mean by that, battling within political powers, battling within amazing arguments, and, and there is this idea that, especially now, with all that has taken place, with all the changes that are, are just going on right now, we kind of want to fight in the physical realm. And we want to give pushback there. But here, Paul gets to the heart of the world's problems, and it's also ultimately the heart of our problems. He says the reason why they're deceived because they refuse to love the, the, the truth and so be saved. The world that we're facing, the issues that are going on, it's a heart issue. It's not, a, not just a political issue or whatever issue, fill in any sort of issue that is, that is, that is currently going on. It's a heart issue that men and women, in the end, but even now, they're going to refuse the truth of Jesus. They're not going to want to accept what he has done for them. They're, they're, they're pushing against him. And they've refused it. And Paul says here, they refused to love the truth and so be saved. And what's going to happen in the end? Look at verse 11. And once again, these are going to be, we're going to quickly dive in here and then I'm going to, I'm going to try to wrap it up before one. It says, therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in, un in unrighteousness. So a lot of people wonder about these verses, and you might be wondering this too. Um, it's very strange here that God says that God's going to send a delusion upon people. You might be questioning, but I thought God loves everyone. I thought God wants everyone to be saved. That's the truth. That's absolutely true. But what we see here and what, what we see taught within Scripture is that when mankind rejects Christ over and over and over and they turn to sin over and over and over, God turns them over to it. We might be sitting here thinking, well, that doesn't sound loving, that doesn't really sound caring, but we see within Scripture is that there, there, there are points where God just says, okay, you want to hate the truth? 
You want to follow after unrighteousness? You want to live that life and do those things? Okay. It's like, and, and some people get this confused as like, well, did God do this to them? Or do they do it to themselves and God allows it? Is, is Pharaoh, and, and if any of you have read, read uh, Exodus, uh, Pharaoh, who was the leader of, of, of Egypt, and God called Moses to go down there to bring God's, God's people out of slavery. Pharaoh had a hard heart towards God. And you see Pharaoh choosing to be disobedient to God over and over. And then it says, and God hardened his heart. And it's like, well, what happened first here? You know, the chicken or the egg? You know, like, did God harden his heart first? Or did he choose sin first and then it took place? Well, here we see that in the end, men are going to reject Christ. They're going to reject God's truth. And God's going to say, okay, you're going to be destined for destruction along with this man of lawlessness. You have rejected God's truth. And it says, because they had pleasure in unrighteousness. They didn't want anything to do with God. They wanted to just live their life and be left alone, and they didn't want to come under his authority, his lordship. And God says, well, in the end, there's going to be a strong delusion that will come upon them so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And now I don't know how God always works, but we see these truths being, being taught to us within Scripture. And I just want to just kind of leave it, leave it there because I think... This has been debated for centuries here, too, of like, okay, does God choose you or do you choose God? This all goes down to this predestination, and there's so many rabbit trails there that we could be going down. But what we see here is that at the heart of the problem is that men and women refused the truth when Christ comes. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, Pastor, You've given this wonderful lecture for the last 25 minutes. What does this have anything to do with us today, right? Because we're just going through facts here. We're just going through, this is what Paul is sharing to the church at the time. And I want to bring this back up. The church at the time, we always have to remember what they were going through and why Paul wrote this letter. He's addressing, correcting their thinking, but he's also addressing people that are going through hardships, going through persecution. Look at how Paul ends this chapter here in verse 15. This is where I think the encouragement comes from. He says, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the tradition that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Verse 16. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and the God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. The end's going to come. Jesus is coming back. It won't be good for the unbeliever. But Jesus is going to come and he's going to d- demolish this lawless one that will be taking the world stage. And as he's writing to the church, He's trying to bring them encouragement. Stand firm, brothers. 
Hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And then he says, Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and the God our Father, who loved us. He's reminding them once again, all these things are going to be taking place. It won't be good. You probably have more questions. There's going to be difficulties. You're already going through difficulties. But may the Lord and the God our Father, who loved us, who sacrificed his life for you and for me, and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort our hearts and establish them in every good work and word. I believe the end times should be studied and should be talked about and should be thought about. But we always have to know who's going to win. Like, say, like, we can't get so caught up in all these details that are about to be taken place and lawlessness and tribulation and difficulties. We have a winner coming who is way more powerful than any systems of this world, any kings and kingdoms. He's going to come. And we can find comfort, church, and peace in that. That regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what is about to be taking place on this earth, I believe we are one day sooner seeing Jesus' return than what we were yesterday. But as we wait, and as we bring this gospel, and as there's pushback, and as there is trials, and as there is difficulties that we are going through, the church back then had them, we have different ones today. But as we go through them, Paul says, listen, remember, our Lord Jesus has loved you has loved us, and has brought us eternal comfort. Because as we look ahead, he's coming for us. Because he loves us. And we can find comfort, church family, in that, in all of life's difficulties, not just tribulations and persecutions, but I would say in all of life's difficulties, we can find comfort because we know who's going to win, but we also know where we're going to be when he comes. Earlier on in First uh, Thessalonians, Paul, Paul talks about us, the church, his body, that when he appears, we go up there with him, that we're going to be with him. Not only are we going to be with him then, but we're always with him. He's always with his people. And I think there's so much comfort there, church family, that as we think about Jesus' coming, I would encourage you, as you study it, I know we have been doing that in, in, in Sunday school, as you study it, as you talk about it, remember this truth that he's coming for you. He's coming for you, for me, and for his people. He's coming back to rescue us from this world that we live in. And all the powers that we think are so powerful, all even, even these like political systems that we can sometimes get all worked up about, they will be brought to absolutely nothing. Like it's just like we can get all worked up with all these things taking place and it's like Jesus is going to come. He's going to settle all the matters. His judgment will come. And I honestly, I, I get worked up a lot because I sometimes wonder when judgment is going to come, because I'm, I kind of look around and I just kind of think, well, how is everybody getting away with all of this sin in this world? God, like, say, like when is this going to happen? And then I have to be reminded that God is gracious and patient with me, 
who has a lot of sin as well, and he has loved me and, and has forgiven me as well. But it, it can be difficult at times because you're just like wondering, like, how much evil can keep on existing until you have to come? But we know that he's coming. And I want to just encourage you with that, church. As you think about the end times, as you study it within Scripture, know that he's coming, and there's comfort in that. And he is more powerful than all the evil of this world. His breath, his appearance, demolishes it, brings it to nothing. And I think that there's hope for us, church. I think there is encouragement for us. I want you to stand and, and I want to pray with you and for you this morning. And the worship team is going to lead us in a song, Glorious Day, that we have been singing quite a bit in the series here. But let me pray for us this morning. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would bring your church comfort, that you would bring your people the comfort that you have for us. Lord, we know that the times we live in are very strange right now. We see so many things happening, so many things taking place. But Lord, you love us. And you died on that cross for us. Father, help us to keep our eyes fixated on you. Let us not get worried or consumed by the things around us. But Lord, you re reminded us today that you are coming. You are more powerful than any system or man or figure of this world. And Father, we trust you. Father, comfort our hearts. Remind us daily that we are loved by you. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what your Son has done for us. We give you all the praise, Lord, and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.